Oh, hey, good afternoon. Good evening, everybody, and welcome to the Rebel News Daily live stream, wherein we used to talk about the news of the day, but there is only this news of the day, and it is the Public Order Emergency Commission, or what we're calling here at Rebel News, the Trucker Commission. And it is Halloween, and my friend William Diaz and I have spent the entire day watching the absolute horror show that is the Trucker Commission unfold. It was former police chief Steve Slo or I'm sorry Peter slowly testifying today um, this was cross-examination and um, right off the hop chaos backstabbing palace intrigue um, and of course the sleaziness of navigator in there for good measure and it didn't get any better as the day went on quite frankly what did you think William well you know and I, and I see you again Sheila I think you know, on our, la on our last, last live stream, I try to have some empathy for Peter Slowly. I try to defend former Chief Slowly. I know you did. <laughs> and I try, I try to show how great of a person he was. I honestly think I would have some trouble doing that today after hearing his testimony, after hearing him claim moral high ground, after hearing him talk about um, systemic racism, the police force, systemic biases, and everything that we heard today. So definitely interesting day as it is always during the Trucker Commission. I should give everybody a little bit of background. So the Public Order Emergency Inquiry or Commission is a fail-safe that's built into the Emergencies Act. And for those of you who have been following along, and I don't yet know how you couldn't know, but in February, Justin Trudeau invoked a counterterrorism law that's never been used before called the Emergencies Act to dissipate, to extinguish the entirely peaceful truckers convoy for freedom that was in our nation's capital for approaching nearly four weeks. They arrived there sort of the 27th, 28th of January and Justin Trudeau hit the nuclear button on February 14th. And in the lead up to that, there had only been five, even slightly charges of violence. And and I think two of those, as our friend Danny Balford explained, I think two of those were actually committed by Ottawa residents against the convoy. And actually, I noticed mm -hmm. in a CSIS note today, it's in one of my tweets, but I know we can't bring it up, so I'll just read it when we get there. I noticed in a CSIS um, note from, oh, I forget his name, Vignette anyways, the head of CSIS, in a conversation with uh, Peter Slowly, that they were actually concerned about violence coming from the residents of Ottawa. And as it turns out, he was right because they were the ones who were acting up mm -hmm. and committing violence against the truckers by throwing eggs. But if you are at home and you'd like to get involved and support the work that we do completely willingly, unlike um, the bought and paid for Justin Trudeau colonized mainstream media. And again, that's something we should bring up today because that came up in communications mm -hmm. between public safety and the prime minister's office that as early as, oh, I think it was the 23rd of January. I'll go back in my tweets. Very and early. Yeah. yeah, the convoy wasn't even in Ottawa yet. And those malicious BS peddlers were already deciding that they were going to paint the convoy before they had even gotten to Ottawa, before they'd even done a thing as uh insurrection north january 6th north and i think january 6th is highly exaggerated and they were going to like 
step it up that much more and paint the convoy that hadn't even arrived in Ottawa as guilty of pre-crimes against the state. And they were waiting for their friends in the mainstream media to pave the way. Particularly, I think it was Global News that was working on a story about just how awful these people that they'd never talked to and had never even gone to Ottawa quite yet, how awful they would be. Because, you know, as conservatives, we're just guilty of pre-crimes. We're murderers and rapists waiting for a place to happen, if you ask the mainstream media. But if you'd like to support the work that we do, and, um, you know, in spite of the BS merchants in the mainstream media, might I suggest you leave a paid chat. You can do that on Rumble in the form of a Rumble rant or on Odyssey. They're called Hyper Chats there. Um, if it's over five bucks, we'll do our very best to address uh, your question, query, comment, story idea live on air. I can't guarantee that we will, though, because it's so busy. We just sort of run out of time. And I'm going to be honest with you. It's Halloween, and I got to be right done at 5 because if my little niece shows up at my door looking really cute and really spooky, and I don't get the opportunity to make her tell me at least three dad jokes before I put way too much candy in her bag, I'm going to be very upset, and I'm not going to be a pleasure to work with tomorrow. So let's just get through what we can today, um, you need, you William. Need to put and I some, think some frozen Alberta meat in her bag. That's what she needs to eat. <laughs> <laughs> she knows where to find steak, and it's over at Auntie's house. <laughs> we should get to the first clip of the day, and this one caught me off guard because I was like. Did I hear that right? Because, you know, you're sort of listening. You're not really watching. You're listening and typing, live tweeting. And if people want to follow mm -hmm. my live tweets from today, it's at truckercommission.com and .ca, I believe. CA, I believe. But um, it was something else. Why don't we roll clip one? Because I couldn't believe the language that was used here. Chief asked who we should have in to be POU incident commander. And I asked for Dave Springer. At that point, um, Mark Patterson said, Dave Springer, an inspector, came into my office this morning and told me what I should be doing, that he wasn't actually there. The chief responded by saying if he did that, he would cut off Dave Springer's nuts and call his boss. And it goes on. And I don't recall, do you remember the rest of the uh, statement you made? I don't even recall that incident, sir. Okay, so it, you don't recall it or it didn't happen? I don't recall the combination of things that she's talking about here, sir. And you don't recall saying that you'll cut off Dave Springer's nuts and use them as bookends? And use them as bookends? <laughs> no, sir. I don't recall saying that. I don't think I've ever said anything. Okay. That was the point in the day wherein I liked Peter Slowly, but it just diffused after that. I, I liked yeah. his candid language, but that is a very contentious exchange with that man who's examining him as the lawyer for the Ottawa Police Service. And Chief Slowly is no longer with the Ottawa Police Service. I guess he insists that nobody even call him Chief Slowly anymore or former Chief Slowly, just Mr. Slowly. He keeps correcting the lawyers. But yeah. I believe... I believe there is a lawsuit percolating. I don't know if it's been filed yet or it's being drafted. Uh, maybe we'll see it shake out after all of this. But I think there's probably a lawsuit uh, between slowly and at least the Ottawa Police Service, quite possibly the city of Ottawa, uh, stemming from his unceremonious departure, where I think the relationship between him and the police force became very untenable. Actually, there was quite a few things where um, slowly remarked that his deputies were undermining him and just going rogue. 
sabotaging him. And interestingly enough, one of his deputies, Steve Bell, that Bell. replaced him as interim police chief, um, he said that he had difficulty getting Hendon reports from his own staff. Those are the intel reports from the OPP as the convoy approached. Um, he's, But then the lawyer said, but you were CC'd on all of these. So I don't know if he wasn't just reading his own emails. But he testified that he had trust issues with his own deputies, Bell and Ferguson, after they suddenly, without asking anybody, made Superintendent Jamie Dunlop the event commander of the convoy without anybody's knowledge. And this was particularly concerning because Superintendent Dunlop was the event commander just months earlier, wherein a car was flipped over and a small-scale riot broke out after the annual University of Ottawa Panda game. And he was actually still part of an ongoing investigation into the policing mm -hmm. tactics that night. I think they had eight people charged with mischief that night. And yeah. somebody was actually charged with riot, which is one more person mm -hmm. than was ever charged in the convoy. And a car was flipped over. And I'm pretty sure the car was never flipped over in the convoy. So they actually had a riot of university students. Yeah. This guy oversaw it. They think that some of the police actions sort of inflamed the situation there. And Chief Soli's two deputies said, you know, who, you know who should be in charge? That guy. Plus, we're not going to tell uh, the police chief that we've made him event commander. So they were sort of already cutting him out of everything. Sounds like as early as February 3rd. Yeah. Really? Well, I mean, you know, I, 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 <laughs> I went to University of Ottawa before working with the Rebel News. And I can tell you, yeah, the, um, the celebration after the Panda game was no, was not was not small. There were a lot of students out on the street, and the police definitely did not have a handle on the situation. I don't know how they couldn't. Might have just been competence here, or lack of organization. But if that was the man who was placed to be the event commander for the convoy, that same person who handled the panda game, I really have some trouble trusting his abilities to be an event commander um but no i totally agree with you i'm sure the ops has something prepared for slowly you could see the line of questioning was probably one of, one of the most tense line of questionings that i've seen mm -hmm. since the beginning of the inquiry even when brendan miller was with zexili or mckinney or jim watson it was not as tense as, as it was today so it was very interesting no, to, to see that yeah and brendan miller he i don't think he ever gets uh tense he just uh he just asks questions that people don't yeah, like. He's just firm. I think he's, yeah, exactly. He's, yeah. <laughs> um, there was also, I mentioned Navigator, those grease balls over at Navigator. Um, they were hired by Ottawa Police Service. So uh, I'll go back a step. If you are in trouble as a politician or a bureaucrat, like a OPS here, having public relations issues and you've done something wrong, you hire Navigator. Um they were hired by OPS in consultation with the OPS board to give advice to OPS and the board. There are February 2nd meeting notes with the chief of police and navigator. And they were sort of scheming about how would, how do we save face with the public? Not how do we reach a peaceful resolution to what's happening here, but how do we save our public reputations? And they said, what do we need to do more of? Tickets, arrests, use of force? That was one of the suggestions. Use of force? Then what? Do we go to politicians? Do we go to big lockdowns? Like all this stuff was on the table as early as, I'm sorry, February 2nd. So we're into the like the very first week. And in those meetings, they said, we're going to go out and lay charges. 
They wanted the prime minister to get involved. Does he have incentive to get involved? They asked. Then they said, this is my favorite. The truckers know the rights and they're not afraid. So you could have went in there and used force and the truckers were going to be peaceful and use their rights. And they said, who can we bring in as a politician to save face? And then lastly, the heavy police presence, those guys in riot gear that didn't need to be, the guys without any uh, identification on them, the guys that looked like they were going to break up a panda game celebration, uh, that was a communication strategy. It wasn't necessary. It was all mm. political theater. Uh, and it came from Navigator to make it seem like the police were doing something. They said, we're going to show up in riot gear. We're going to use floodlights at night. And we're going to use repeated police stops because it was theater to make it seem to the public and particularly the worry warts who lived downtown that they were doing something. So they were mm-hmm. make-believing authoritarian thugs. Um, this here, this stuff, the riot horses, this is all a strategic communications campaign from those uh, crisis actors over at Navigator. Yeah, it definitely did have an impact on the uh, on the morale, the protesters. Though. I think when they saw these measures being used, it had an impact on their morale uh, as people that are peacefully protesting in Ottawa and seeing it, this is the tactics that are being used against them. That's the tactic that you're deciding to use against peaceful protesters that are protesting vaccine mandates. Yeah. And, and Navigator thought this was something that would help them save face with the public when actually mm-hmm. I think it really turned a lot of people who were like, maybe these truckers should just go home that those images there turned people against the Ottawa police. It turned people like me who are like, yep, thin blue line. I'm pro-police. Don't defund the police. And I see this and I'm like, I think maybe their budgets are a little too high in Ottawa if they can do that to grandmas who just want to be able to visit their grandkids and watch Mm -hmm. them play hockey without getting a jab. Yeah. Yeah. And and you saw also in some of the uh, analysis of the social media accounts. Another thing, I'm not exactly sure what term they use, but I know that they hired a company or maybe they had a company already in place to analyze how their response to the convoy would affect the view that citizens of Ottawa had on the police. And it showed that the people that are living outside of the downtown area would see the response of the police as being too harsh and would lower the support yeah. that they have for the police. And contrary to people that are downtown that are usually very governments uh, that are usually very yeah. liberal because they work for the government the people that are that, that are living downtown in the vast majority work for the government whereas people that are living a little bit further away don't work for the government so i think they had a different vision of um, of the police because of it look at this we're watching the navigator strategic communication strategy unfold right in front of us on the screen good job navigator i think they got paid close to two hundred thousand dollars for the absolutely awful advice they gave slowly in the city of um, Ottawa, just grotesque. Let's go to clip two um, because uh, I could talk about how bad Navigator is all day. And I, I grew to like or dislike them during the times of Alison Redford's Sky Palace construction. They brought in Navigator to help her out when everybody, conservatives, liberals, NDP, everybody was turning on um, Alison Redford and they brought in Navigator to help and definitely didn't help they mm-hmm. never help uh let's go to clip two uh former uh ottawa police chief slowly was asking an internal crisis management team what the next steps would be to contain the convoy and their response was um well political uh keep scrolling please p.s that's peter slowly 
You ask them the question. So you've just had the POU meeting the previous day. What do we need to do more? More arrests, tickets, use of force? Then what? Go to the politicians? Go into big lockdown mode? Massive show of police presence and then hold hands and come together? Or two, bigger lockdown of city for weekend? And then you'll see Aaron at the bottom. Aaron is from Navigator or ASI? ASI, sir. Um, job is to keep the peace and keep people protected. When you take a hard line, citizens of Ottawa want this, but not everyone. Need to acknowledge not everyone uh, represents or resonates as fringe group. This is a national problem, and Prime Minister needs to get us out of it. Well, I mean, yeah, I, they were I there to protest Trudeau. They were there to protest Trudeau. I don't disagree with everything he's saying here. I think that it was indeed a policing, uh, not a policing, sorry, a political issue. It was not a policing yep. issue, which is the reason why they should have negotiated with the federal government. The federal government should have accepted to get those people and to negotiate with those people because that's your role as a politician. You're supposed to talk to your constituents and when you're a prime minister, you don't only represent the Liberal Party voters, you don't represent the Liberal Party donors, you represent all Canadians. When you go abroad, you, you don't say, my name is Justin Trudeau, I'm for the Liberal Party of Canada. You say, my name is Justin Trudeau, I'm the prime minister of Canada. And they should have negotiated. And if the levels of government had decided to negotiate with the protester and to actually speak with them and hear their concerns. I don't think we would have been, we would be in the same situation that we are in right now. It's true. Um, we also, I'm just trying to cruise through some of these clips because we've got so many and they're crazy. And I really want to get to that mm -hmm. uh, text message exchange between the two political operatives uh, because it's just revolting and it's, you know, they do stuff like this. Like, you know, they do. But to see it in a text message, it's really an extra level of gall. But before we get to that, we heard last week Steve Bell use the word assaultive to mean anything but assault. But, but like people mm -hmm. who are experiencing discomfort and uh, angst and anxiety mm -hmm. and maybe inconvenience and possibly inconvenience, a traffic yeah. snarl. <laughs> like there's a lot of people who are being inconvenienced and they're using inconvenience interchangeably with the word assaultive, which I think mm -hmm. isn't even a real word. Assault is a thing. Assaultive, I'm not so sure. And we saw Steve Bell say, yes, it was assaultive. And then when pressed on that, but no actual assault, just like Yeah, it's only inconvenience, feeling. yeah. <laughs> no, yeah. no report of assault that actually did happen. I think I think a lot of people are confusing assault with inconvenience or violence yeah. with, with, you know, me the disagreement. I think that's an issue yeah. that people in Ottawa have. Yeah. It's very strange. It's someone who doesn't share your exact viewpoint on everything. No. Assaultive. Um, slowly tried that. Um, apparently not doing his homework about how poorly it went over for Steve Bell with the public. Perhaps he should have asked Navigator what the public thought about it. Um, but, um, or maybe he did and that's why they gave him such bad advice. Um, but um, he tried it. And he was sort of had to backtrack when he was pushed on it. If we could show mm -hmm. clip four. And so uh, there was never a declaration, of course, as a riot. And there was no formal declaration that there was an unlawful assembly. And uh, therefore, the protesters who were there, who were who were sitting there, 
no one in authority, it's fair to say, told them that they were doing anything illegal. Is that fair? Again, I, I will cede to the legal definition of it, but I, I couldn't agree that that would be the case given the massive amount of social media, mainstream media coverage of what was happening in our city here and across the country. Um, I think it'd be very hard to, to believe that any individual could not understand that there was a level of unlawfulness and public danger and risk, heightened risk, um, at any point from January 29th onwards. I think that was the wrong clip. I think we wanted to show the clip before. I think that was clip five, but that's still a great clip because there was no riot. There was no there was no declaration of a riot. So they, if they declare what you're doing is a riot, rightly or wrongly, yeah. if if you stay there now, you're participating in a riot. Uh, nobody mm -hmm. told him what they were doing was illegal. It wasn't declared illegal. And he said that there was a level of unlawfulness. Okay, well, what was that level of unlawfulness? Because we only saw five serious criminal charges for yeah. loosely violent things. And so it couldn't have been that unlawful. And he was also pressed on, um, well, you know, if it was unlawful, why don't we see more arrests? Nobody was telling you you couldn't enforce the criminal code. Why did, mm -hmm. if you saw violence, it behooves you to defend the community. And yeah. they weren't laying charges because... It wasn't unlawful. It wasn't lawless. Not, and as someone pointed out, not even a window broke. No, 100%. And you know, I've been spending a little bit of time with Tamara Leisha's lawyers recently. And I know what exactly has to be done and what exactly has to be said for a protest to be deemed a riot according to our legal system here in canada it's called the riot act and if you want to go if yeah. you want to go look it up you can go look it up look it up yourself i don't think any politician would have the guts to actually do what you have to be done for a process to be illegal but that, that should be coming out uh, soon in the inquiry that'll be interesting anyways we've got andrew lawson that just entered our Airbnb oh, right great. Now. so i guess we could yeah we could throw to a quick ad and then we'll be able to have him on as well great well, the remains of 215 children have been found in a mass grave in Canada. Many of you know that just over a year ago, the discovery of the remains of 215 children was found at the Kamloops Indian Residential School at the Kamloops Shiswemek First Nation. But what if I were to show you that what I just said wasn't true? And that in fact, a year later, not a single body has been found. This mass grave is a painful reminder of the genocide. Canada's leaders aren't condemning the burning of churches. No, they're endorsing the burning of churches. A juvenile rib bone that surfaced in the same area. You'd be surprised the number of people who say, you know, I'm a doctor, I'm a paramedic. This is definitely a human bone, and it's hmm. We must redouble our efforts. Mayor Khan, I was hoping that you would answer my question. What consequences are there going to be for people that don't abide by the climate green transition? It's not an interview. What are the consequences going to be? Mr. Adler, you flew over 5,000 miles to be here to attend a summit that is promoting the elimination of fossil fuels. Isn't that hypocritical? And, and the decision I made was that it was better for me to physically be here than to not be here. 
like in here to 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 make a statement that they care about the South uh, governments, the South countries uh, of the, the global South. But I don't think that that's not happening. Well, would you look uh, at that? Joining us now is my friend Andrew Lawton. Andrew's a senior journalist at True North and best-selling author of The Freedom Convoy. Andrew, what a pleasure to have you on the show with us today. Um, before we get into some of the nitty-gritty details of some of the crazy, crazy things we saw today, like those texts um, between uh, senior government bureaucrats, what was your big takeaway from today? Do you like slowly? I, Do you not like them? I can't decide. <laughs> it's funny you mentioned that because I think a lot of people going into it thought that he was going to be the guy that was the convoy favorite as far as Ottawa police chiefs go. And, and certainly I think there's reason to believe that because for the first two and a half weeks of, of their protest, he was the guy that basically let the protest go. But in his messaging, he's had very different approaches. I, I mean, Paul Wells in his column last week said that he was very much the enforcer. And I think it was that he just didn't feel he had the resources to do it. So I, I think it's a bit mixed. But I also think that if you just take the convoy out of the equation, here was a guy that was very much thrown under the bus when it became convenient to do so. He had been the favorite on all of these woke diversity, challenging systemic racism, challenging uh, sexual assault and systemic misogyny he said and then the second he didn't go along with what they wanted he was out mm -hmm. yeah that's true he he did testify to being directly undermined and i think sabotaged quite frankly by his two deputies ferguson and bell bell ending up being his successor when they started appointing people uh to be the i guess the event commander they called it of the convoy without even telling him um as early as February 3rd, the the like backroom shenanigans started and William brings it up all the time. I'm I've run out of patience with slowly, but he does his best to find some empathy for him saying like, you know, he was getting pressure from all angles. He was getting pressure from the public who lived in and around the convoy. I don't think the public in general to bust some heads. He was getting pressure from public safety for a quick resolution to meet the political goals um, of the government um, being undermined by people all around him. So I think he was really in a pressure cooker and I think he started to react probably poorly um, because we saw testimony from superintendent Abrams of the OPP that he got there and they were suggesting the OPS were suggesting let's do some snatch and grabs. And he said, we're, we're not doing any of that until we get legal advice. And that was coming from Chief Slowly at the time. Yeah, and it was interesting because I, I had a, a story that I, I broke a couple of days ago that was a, an audio recording of a call between convoy organizers and uh, one of the OPP liaisons. And it was a, a call that was quite exceptional because he was apologizing for what the Ottawa Police Service had done with that fuel rate at Coventry and saying, you know, we've just decided uh, as OPP we're, we're bowing out, we can't deal with them. And he said they felt betrayed by Ottawa Police. But it was interesting because slowly and the 
OPP Commissioner Karik, it seemed like we're very, very tight. And the issue that uh, former Chief Slowly kept raising today was Brenda Lucky, the RCMP commissioner. And and I think if you and I again, I feel like that meme with like the guy that's like just trying to weave all of these strings together and the chalkboard like the conspiracy theorist. But I know. we know that Brenda Lucky has shilled for the liberals and has been uh, very much an agent of the liberal government's agenda. And in that context, not even convoy related, I wonder what's going to come out further in this inquiry when you find out that it was the RCMP that seemed like the weak link uh, slowly felt anyway, as far as that unity and, and the lack of support for him. Yeah, I, and I wonder if Brenda Lucky is going to be exposed to be playing all sides of the fence here because she's she's said, at least, you know, you've seen some of these phone call readouts and in internal communications where she says, you know, it, it's sort of the last thing um, that they were even thinking of at the time was the Emergencies Act. She was saying, you know, like, let's get more tow trucks. We've got other tools in the toolbox, I think is what she said. And I wonder what she was taking back to cabinet from her conversations with slowly. Was she saying one thing to slowly other yeah. things to cabinet and slowly again is caught flat footed and just forced to react. Yeah. And I mean, there's no greater tool in the toolbox than Marco Mendicino and Marco Mendicino <laughs> repeatedly said that like everyone in law enforcement, like the janitor at Ottawa police headquarters asked for the emergencies act. Everyone, they all wanted it. And then all of them came out <laughs> systematically and said, no, we, we didn't. And, and the one thing that was interesting that came up today that I, I found fascinating was that Bill Blair told commission counsel, it sounded like in their interview with him, that Ottawa police couldn't ask for officers from the RCMP unless they had gone through the OPP first. And Peter slowly said, you know, that wasn't his attitude when he was the chief of Toronto police. Like, I'm aware of no provisions in law that require that. So it does see, and then Bill Blair and other comments was saying the opposite. So it seems like, again, there was some federal government RCMP uh, overlap there that hasn't quite been fully explored and exposed in the commission. And you, you mentioned Marco Mendicino, and we saw earlier today text messages that were revealed from someone whose works in his office mm -hmm. and Mary Liz Power. You know, we saw a text message, I'm sure we can put them on the screen. What did you make of that uh, that exchange that we were able to see? Actually, I mean, you know what, before we, get, before we get Andrew's comments, I think we have the video clip of that full That's exchange right. between uh, Brendan Miller, Miller Time, the lawyer, and uh, slowly. So let's throw to that and then we'll get uh, Andrew's very um, mm -hmm. uh, poignant comments, I'm sure. Oh, she's going to bring it up. Okay, it'll just take a second. But on the issue of Bill Blair, on February 8th, I, I took a screenshot of uh, the communications there. He was suggesting that there were plenty of other things available to the OPS. Uh, and that was just days before Blair's own government went for the nuclear option of the EA. I don't think I don't think anybody knew what was happening until just maybe hours before they dropped the EA. I don't think anybody really knew what was going to happen. No, and, and I think that they saw their window was closing. And this goes back to all of the testimony we heard last week, two weeks ago, about the negotiations, which the commission process told us had actually was ministers were aware of it. Marco Mendicino was personally aware of it, that this negotiation was taking place between convoy yep. organizers in the city of Ottawa. Yeah, and that the convoy organizers were acting in good faith and they had already mm -hmm. moved some 40 trucks 
before the EA was invoked. Mm -hmm. And then when the EA was invoked, the operation to move the truck stopped instantly because all the police officers were redeployed off that mission to go downtown and crack heads. Yeah, so they had 40 trucks. So they had moved one truck for every one of Marco Mendicino's IQ points. And Marco Mendicino (laughs) knew about it. And even knowing about it, still the Emergencies Act comes down the pipeline. And I'm convinced that they saw the window was closing. And if they'd waited even a day longer, they wouldn't have just had the justification to sell it to the public. Right, Mm -hmm. right. And I think the tide would have, even even the people who were against the truckers, seeing them acting, in good faith might have turned a few hearts against Mm -hmm. what we saw happen next. And that was the extreme police overreach, um, which as it turns out, as we found out today was a communication strategy from navigator who are the worst. They're just the worst. No, I have the wrong line of work though. $185,000 to uh, give two weeks of advice on how to tweet about the police response to the convoy. That sounds like a pretty sweet deal. And they didn't even do a good job. They said, you know, show up in riot gear um, and and start using force. Did the Ottawa, like, has anyone come out of the convoy thinking, well, you know, the Ottawa police, they really seem to know what was going on. Like, that was just money poorly spent. They won the hearts and minds of the nation by their actions here that day. Yes, indeed. Olivia, did we find that clip of Brenda Miller, please? If not, you probably, I tweeted the screenshot. Oh, there you yeah, go. Yeah, we, we also have the screenshots and tweets. Okay. I don't know if that's this is the, it. That's, that's not the video from him. P.S. That's Peter Slowly. No. No. No, I, uh, I, 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 sent, I sent a tweet with the, the screenshot just recently. I so. love live. Live is great. It's so natural. It's fine. We're always thinking on our feet. It's clip number, <laughs> it's clip number seven, Olivia, if you wouldn't mind. We get to it. We'll get to it. <laughs> Moment of truth. <laughs> this is it. Thank right, you. And this is from about the 24th, on or before the 24th of January. And it says, I got a quick response. People are into it. Let me know if your boss is too. Happy to help however I can. This is what I sent through, though, by the way. Hi, I just had a chat with Alex at PS, meaning public safety, who had a bit of an interesting idea. As you saw in the pod goals chat, the truckers' convoy and some of their more extreme comments in brackets, i.e. calling for a January 6th-style insurrection, close brackets, are getting more coverage in the media. Alex was surveying whether there'd be interest in his boss doing some media on this eventually. He was chatting with uh, Mediciano about it right before he went into the cabinet retreat. Now, I can tell you the cabinet retreat was on the 24th. That's how I know it was before the 24th. I think there could be an opportunity to get in on this growing narrative of the truckers, particularly with the research that LRB is doing into their backers. My thoughts of the framing here would be similar to what PM slash Blair, meaning the prime minister and uh, minister Blair, said last year when January 6th occurred. And the first thing is our democracy is something we need to nurture and protect every day. We will always support the right to peaceful protests. Some of the call that organizers of these events are making are concerning and we're taking them seriously in brackets would need something to back this up, close brackets. We'll continue to monitor the situation closely. The fine line to walk would be to ensure we are not looking like we're directing the police, which obviously is not the goal here. Hoping to canvas your thoughts. Alex said uh, he'd come back to me with a proposal this afternoon when he gets to chat with Mediciano again, and obviously pending his boss and our, uh, our interest in looking into this further. And if you could scroll down. 
And Alex responds, thanks. I had an initial chat with my boss and he's supportive, but wants to wait a day or two. There's a danger that if we come down too hard, they might push out the crazies. And then the response, I think that's fair. Apparently Global and others are working on stories. Maybe see how those land. So when I show you this, and I, I the, after this, the exact same sort of narrative came out from the federal government following these suggestions from their staff. Is that misinformation? I'm sorry, I can't really comment. There's just not enough context to know how, who these people are, how, what they represent, what information or, or influence they have. Right. See, now I'm back to not liking Peter slowly. I mean, I mean, we know Alex Cohen is in public safety. Mary Liz Power, she's in the PMO. This is them plotting to smear the convoy before it ever even got there. Three full days before the first truck even lands in the city. They're like, yep, let's paint this as insurrection north. You know this happens. It's just galling yeah. to see it. You know, I, I'm actually on Peter Slowly's side on this one because sometimes the evidence spins itself and you don't need to offer <laughs> any commentary. And I feel like Brendan Miller just like he could have said, you know, read the text message and then be like, what's your favorite color? He just needed to get it in the yeah. record. And I don't think I don't think the answer mattered all that much. But the yeah. one thing that people might not pick up on, and I don't know if you can put the screenshots up, but when Mary Liz Power references LRB, that's the yeah. Liberal Research Bureau. Now, this is a tax they are funded, but very partisan uh, office that works to support the liberals. Now, if this is a group of insurrectionists and white supremacists and extremists and terrorists, why is it a liberal research bureau whose job is to do memes and question period briefing that has to run background checks on the convoy backers? Because it was a partisan issue. It wasn't a public safety issue. Yeah. And I noticed here, and they, I think they admitted it accidentally, that the truckers themselves were engaging in a little bit of political hygiene. That they said, if we start pointing out some of the crazier things, the three crazy people on the convoy said, the truckers will start booting them out. And that's not politically mm -hmm. advantageous yeah. for us to do right now. Yeah. We need the crazy people to stay longer yeah. Yeah. so that we can... <laughs> Use the few to taint the whole. So let's just hold back on that. They, yeah, they that was the true North headline that Mendocino wanted the crazies. They they wanted there to be convoy yeah. crazies. So de-escalation was never the goal. They wanted escalation. And I think this text message exchange is incredibly revealing. That proves it. Yeah. 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 And it's funny because they were waiting on the old Telford op-eds to show up, knowing full well they could count on their friends in the Trudeau-colonized yeah. bailout media to do exactly what they needed them to do. Yeah, well, yeah, that's such a great headline. Good job. That part was fat. Well, thank you for the plug there. But that part was fascinating, too, is that she has foreknowledge. So she's not in comms or Maryland's power. She used to be in comms, but she's in issues and policy for the prime minister's office. And she somehow has foreknowledge of what global and other news outlets are working on. So again, I, I'm not saying like, maybe it was that they had asked the PMO for comment and word got down to her, but I think that was interesting. And there's another line, I can't remember the exact text, but if you can put it up where she talks about the talking points that they're going to put forward. And she says, you know, we stand up for democracy. And then there's a line where she says, some of them have said concerning things. And then in brackets, I need to, I need backup for this or something or there it is would need something yeah. to back this up yeah this is i just saw yeah. ctv news do something similar first this justify later yeah, yeah. exactly yeah. exactly yeah ctv news is actively engaged in this as we speak 
they tweeted out on Twitter they're hunting for some parent of an immunocompromised child <laughs> so they can create a story yeah. around something that Premier Daniel Smith said, and they're doing it right there. They've said concerning things. Now we better go find those concerning things, and let's make sure we keep our eyeballs on the crazies because Mendicino needs the crazies. By the way, I want to ask you this, Andrew, because I, I don't know. Maybe I'm a conspiracy. Uh, no, I am a conspiracy theorist, I guess, sometimes. Do you think Brendan Miller is purposefully saying Marco Mendicino's name wrong? I thought he was screwing it up Mendiciano. to begin with. Because as Albertans, we can only say one form of ethnic name properly, and that's Ukrainian. Uh, but other than that, we, we're not good with ethnic names. Is he doing it on purpose just to be irritating to everybody? I think he is. Mar yeah, like Marco Marciano. And uh, well, that, I remember that was like Ezra's old theory about Trump's tweets is that Trump would deliberately put typos in because it made people more mad than the tweet without typos. So it could be that, like, we'll, we'll see in his cross examination if he's like, you know, Minister Mariupol, uh, you know, Marco Polo. Like, if when he's cross examining Mendocino, if he just like calls him a different name, because that's what it was. It was a different thing every time. It was That's like, the thing. It was, like, you know, it was like Marciano, and then it was like Men, Men, Mendacio, and yeah, Men Mendacero or something. Mentoid by the end of the week, it's gonna be like Minister Mendoid by the end of the week. Yeah, I think he's doing it on purpose, and I think he's workshopping names before he goes and talks about it. I swear to God, um, you know, we're getting close to the top of the hour. Um, and it is a uh, spooky season. And so I'm going to have little people at my door very, very quickly. Um, Andrew, I want to thank you so much for taking the time to come on our show tonight. I hope you'll come on again very, very soon. Yeah. It's fun. It's fun. You're always welcome in the Airbnb. I hope the guys are keeping it tidy in there. You're going to have mom <laughs> of the company show up. Um, I'm Andrew, turn the camera around. <laughs> I would never out these kind gentlemen, but there wasn't even like room for me to put my bag down on the couch. But anyway, <laughs> Guys, I knew it. Andrew, where can you tell can you tell people where they can get your best-selling book if they haven't already because you sold a ton of these? Yes, yeah, so you can get it on uh, Sutherland House Books or on Amazon. Or if you're going to be up at the Rebel Live event in the GTA in a couple of weeks, I will have books for sale there. And it devalues them if I sign them, but I would be happy to do it nonetheless. <laughs> Well, thank you so much. I'm very much looking forward to seeing you at Rebel Live in person. Um, mm -hmm. Olivia, do we have any chats or are we clear of chats? Oh, we've got one. Perfect. Let's see where that is. Do we have? Okay, I'll just find it. Nope. Olivia, okay, yeah, I, it's I, Pat I Parr. It right I can't see it. I can't see it on my side, if you wouldn't mind. It's Pat Parr, five bucks, but I don't know what the comment is. It says, it says, if an emergency act is found to be unlawful, what can legally charge or done? I guess he means what can be legally charged or done to all who were complicit. I don't think anything. It's This is an act of public accountability, and I guess it's up to the voters to hold the liberals to account at the ballot box next time around. Well, uh, but... The, the NDP are saying they're not going mm -hmm. to break ranks with the Liberals no no matter what shakes out here. So even, you know, yeah. like they're not even going to break the coalition. Don't you think the NDP hedging was interesting on that? That all of a sudden, because normally they wouldn't entertain a, a thing. But now he's like, well, yeah, but even if it is, yeah, I don't see that as, as really doing anything. So it's like the NDP is seeing the writing on the wall here, I think. I think so too, but you just, you would think that they would unhitch their horse from that cart, but they, they aren't, I guess, you know, 
power at all costs at the end of the day. Well, um, you know, I, I think I, that's I think the show for tonight. Sorry, I'll I let think you go ahead. Yeah, I think, I think politically it will have an impact. You're going to see the more centrist liberals that vote for the Liberal Party start to move away from the Liberal Party and go towards the Conservative Party. I think this is going to be uh, an impact that we're going to see happening out of the inquiry. I think the NDP's deal with the Liberal might be shaking a little bit. I'm not entirely sure, but... We never know what Jack Mead's saying. It depends if everything that he wants to be passed yeah. actually passes. I guess we'll see, but unfortunately, I don't think anything legal can be done out of it. Nope. 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 Nothing. Nope. Well, everybody, that's the show for tonight. Olivia, thank you so much for working so hard and uh, reacting when we are doing things unscripted here. Andrew, thanks so much. We'll have you back on again very, very soon. Uh, William, great job today, young man. And as David Menzies always says, stay sane being here today, but thank you to everyone in all cities around the world who are stepping forward to stand with the extraordinarily brave women of Iran and those standing with them. Thank you to the world for making sure we are all raising our voices and saying enough, enough of the brutality, enough of the repression, enough of the violation of fundamental human rights. We know it's been enough. <laughs>